five, four, three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to the Agency Podcast. This is Candy here in Northern Ontario. And Eugene here in beautiful Long Branch. Hi. You and I have had a crazy few days. Well, it's been an interesting few days, that's for sure. Um, I just uh, I just drove uh, your husband Stag earlier today to the airport for the second time. Yes, since his uh, since his flight yesterday was canceled. Yes, uh, but and his flight is in the air, and good. since I haven't got a phone call, I'm assuming he's on it. And uh, since I haven't had a panicked phone call, I'm assuming that he's on it. Um, yeah, he was pretty stressed out yesterday, even though all of us have been listening to the news and following the story. Uh, Chicago has had cancellations and shortages of staff, technical problems, same as Toronto. Um, so basically, Stag is, was in, my husband was in Toronto for about five, six days, and he got interviewed by the CBC when he got off the plane. So that should have been a clue that there was going to be problems. Yeah, and it's been in the news every day. Every Tra- day. Traveling by airplane has been kind of a nightmare. Yeah. And so since there's been delays, I had him there, oh, about three hours early yesterday. <laughs> um, so he could sit around for two hours before they canceled his flight. Right. He called me and said, I'm at, I'm at a post called A2. Come and get me. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe you got him pretty fast. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he I don't know. He's probably never experienced a canceled flight. I certainly have. And it happens even in the best of times. But there seems to be some challenges right now. What I don't understand is why can't they um, at least figure out, OK, we're only going to do where. Why do they know at the last minute that they're canceling? Why don't they know sooner? You know, so something's disorganized and not together. And that's not good. And um, yeah. I'm sure Maybe there's we'll more to one. the story that we don't know. I, I think don't... there's way more to the story way more and um so it sounds like you guys had a bit of fun oh we had we had lots of fun good um starting with uh last thursday i had an appointment to get my first tattoo all right uh and uh and stag came down with me for some uh for some moral support that's fantastic and and it was pretty pretty interesting um he was quite surprised at how quiet the guns are these days oh because he had a little bit of experience with tattooing back when they had foot pedals and they made lots of noise and um, were i think maybe a little bit scarier yeah he was tattooing bootleg tattooing in the basement in logan square at his studio and um he practiced for a long time on oranges but he had needles and ink and all that stuff and he just didn't like dealing with skin because it was so unpredictable everyone's skin is different and he just didn't enjoy that changing changing between uh, skin types and tone and and you know the tension the pores he just it was too inconsistent for him yeah well i, I couldn't do it that's for sure <laughs> but i you know i uh so i love I, your tattoo. i never thought i never thought that i would get a tattoo um because i never thought i could come up with an image that i might want to live with yeah, you know, I think of my my um, uh, my time as a painter. Um, one of the reasons I I kept painting is my dissatisfaction with the previous image. Yeah, you know, maybe this time I'll get it right. This time I'll yeah. get it better, and so I feel compelled to make another one. 
Um, and so my fear was that the second I ever got a tattoo, I would go, oh, no, no, not that one. Right. Right. Well, your and tattoo is wonderful. I love it. I think I'm pretty happy with it as well. It looks uh, great. How's it feeling? Is it healing up okay? Uh, it's healing. It's uh, starting to get a little bit itchy and the skin is starting to um, uh, peel and flake on the colored in bits. Okay. Um, which is uh, to be expected. Um, but they, uh, they, they sold me some, um, some swanky uh, moisturizing <laughs> cream for it. And, and I've been putting that on a couple of, couple of days a week. Good. Good. Um, and you know, I, I suppose what I should have done if I knew anything about tattoos is mm -hmm. I should have probably researched tattoo places and researched tattoo artists and found just exactly the right artist um, for what it was that I wanted. But since right. I didn't really, aside from an idea of an image, I didn't really know just what it was I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know stylistically what I wanted. Uh, I didn't do that. Instead, right. um, I wandered down the, the street to Fifth Street, um, where there's a place that's just moved from Mississauga to beautiful new Toronto uh, called Flamewise Inc. And they're at 2869 Lakeshore Boulevard West here in Toronto. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to, uh, talked to a fellow there named uh, uh, Leo Kintow. And mm -hmm. he turned out to be my tattoo artist. Um, and I was very impressed with, uh, first of all, it's a huge place. They've got yeah. 13 artists wow. and they've got, it's just an enormous, enormous space. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely spotless mm -hmm. up to the point where you don't walk in with your shoes on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So it's, uh, it's very, and very what, clean. How did it, did it, did it hurt? Um, the line work uh, didn't hurt. Well, it hurt a little bit, but not enough oh. that it would it would cause you to say "ow" or okay. anything like that. But you know, you're certainly aware of it. Um, on the other hand, the uh, the color now mm. that hurt. Okay, that hurt enough that uh, I thought, "How much longer of this do I have <laughs> to take?" It was, or I'm, oh, yeah, no. I'm committed now, I guess. But yeah. this is really freaking hurting. Oh no! Um, Terrible. So, uh, but I got I got through that. Uh, initially, I, I had thought that I would get a smaller one than I ended up getting. Um, but Leo convinced me that we would lose too much detail okay. if we went if we went yeah. smaller. And nice. so this thing is I don't know it's like about five inches long I guess. Oh, nice. Uh, and nice. Uh, for for our uh, our listeners uh, who aren't aware, it's an image of a dancing cat playing a fiddle. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cute. You can see it on Instagram on our Instagram page. So it's on there or Facebook. Yes. Or you can go to um, uh, Kintao.inc at Kintao.inc and, and see uh, Leo's picture of it. Uh, that's Q-U-I-N-T-A-O dot I-N-K on, on Instagram. Um, he's a, he's very, very meticulous, very hard worker, knew what he was doing. Um, very confident in what he was doing and was mm. able to keep me feeling confident and yeah. um, took about three hours to do the job. Really? Oh, I thought it'd be like an hour. Wow. No, it's, uh, it takes some time. Oh, wow. It takes some time. 
Uh, and did you feel exhilarated, like the high? Most people say they feel a high after a tattoo, like they've released so many endorphins. I can't say I noticed anything like that. Mm. Um, I felt okay, you yeah. know. Um, I quite liked it right away. <laughs> um, the, the process is is one where he starts with a drawing and and I got him started with some reference images well ahead of time and he came up with a drawing and um, from there he makes a stencil and the stencil gets transferred um, onto the skin in a position that we agree upon um, and then he just gets going but before he got going uh, I asked Leo if he would uh, sit down with me and tell me a little bit about himself and the process and um, and answer a few questions about oh, tattooing. Um, so we have uh, we have a, a recorded little interview uh, with uh, with Leo Quintao, uh, which we'll play right now. I'm with Leo Quintao at Flamewise Inc. on Lakeshore Boulevard in the old community of New Toronto, and. I'm here because Leo is a tattoo artist and he's going to give me my first tattoo, which should be fun. How are you doing, Leo? I'm doing great. Super excited to make this happen, your first tattoo. I guess it's a dreaming coming through. I don't know, lots of people takes a lot of time thinking on their first tattoo and usually when they decide, so it's a big timing, so excited. I hadn't really thought about getting a tattoo until this image came to mind. And the more I thought about the image, the more I thought it would be really great on my arm. So, so here I'm going to do that. Um, and uh, what, what got you into tattooing? Have you been doing it for a long time? So it's a funny, fun history of my life. So I love drawing. So first thing come in my mind since I was a little kid was drawing. was something I loved doing. It kind of, I became a part of drawing once I started doing university back home. So working and studying, I couldn't find enough time to draw. So I took a, I would say a five years break from drawing, which was devastating, I think, which was pretty sure. hard time when I was doing university. I didn't finish university, I quit on my last year. So I started seeking my dreams. I leave my country, I start working, I get back on drawing, practicing, exercising, learning, and now everything is it's happening. So I'd say it, it turned out pretty great. Happy with it. Great. Let's talk a little bit about the, the process. I mean, you made the, the drawing based on the reference material I sent you the other day. And um, just a few minutes ago, uh, Leo has stenciled the drawing onto my arm and he's got all kinds of red marks to register the position. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the process, what you're going to do and how you're going to do it? All right. So first we start placing the stencil on our arm and see if the client agrees with the placement and how the tattoo looks on, on the body. So it definitely looks different than when you see in a flat paper. So we first place the stencil if the clients agree if they're happy with the positioning of the tattoo then we just start following the lines slowly step by step once linings then colors if the tattoo has some colors so the lines go first the lines definitely go first especially on my style which is more traditional 
and every tattoo has a different way of executing so let's say portraits tattoos there is no lines involved so there's just filling with colors pretty much but yeah so it's a different process of every each tattoo but basically every tattoo needs a stasium prior we starting tattooing some artists they do free handing which is uh, i would say it allows it brings the level a little higher, it's more difficult. I try to do some freehanding on people as well. I'd say it's more from my background, which is kind of necessary on my style, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, uh, to get going. I've never experienced anything like this. You know, I've been around artists all my adult life, but uh, I've never had anyone do any art on me. You're gonna have a great time. Well, I, I, I think so. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, uh, how it works and how you know how it looks afterwards. What what kind of care do you need after you get a tattoo? What do you have to do to, to make sure it's clean and safe and everything? All right, so we gotta treat every tattoo as an open wound. So we gotta be very careful of not letting the tattoo get infected. So the way the shop proceeds with the aftercare, you, we usually keep the client with a bandage after he leaves the studio for five days on. So once this bandage is removed, which is to seal the air of the tattoo, not letting anything contaminating the tattoo. Once you remove the bandage, we're gonna start moisturizing and cleaning the tattoo for twice a day. We're gonna use unscent cream for moisturizing and unscent soap as well for cleaning the tattoo. And we're gonna keep this procedure for at least 30 days or until the tattoo is fully healed. Okay, and that's just to make sure there's no infection or anything like that. Exactly, perfect. Okay, is there any is there any common problems? Anything I should worry about? So there is common common problems. Like I say, it's the open wound. So it's uh, I like to tell my clients it's a fifty fifty percent of the procedure. So fifty percent it's me taking care of everything, make sure everything is clean and sanitized. And once the client's home, it's his job to make sure the tattoo is clean and doesn't get infected. Okay. Well, I have to say that this is a beautiful tattoo studio. It's it's huge and it's spotlessly clean. Um, I've been by stocking feet now. They had some uh, some little booties for me to put on, but my feet are too big for the booties, so I'm in my stocking feet. Um, but everything is really spotless here. It's very impressive, uh, the care you guys take to make sure that um, things are really clean. Yes, so a tattoo is a procedure we, which involves, we work with blood as well, so it definitely has to be a clean place and a clean area to get your tattoo, so it definitely is going to lower the risk of getting any problems in the future, yes. Okay, and uh, how many uh, artists work in this studio? So right now we are in total of uh, 13 artists. Wow. There is some more coming to start working with us, so... Yeah, and the team is getting bigger. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of buzz around here when everybody's working at it once. Is. No, uh, funny thing, yeah, right now every machine is kind of different now. Before, like uh, 10 years ago, they used to be called, like, um, they still called by coil machines, which is very noisy machines. Right now it's everything electric, so it's smoother, less noise, and it's calmer, yeah. All right, well, let's get going. Let's get started. Okay, thank you, Leo. All right, thank you. And we're back. So thank you, uh, Leo, for taking the time uh, to join us and tell us a little bit about um, what you do. 
I've got a lot of feedback since because I posted on social media yeah. as well. I've got lots of feedback. Uh, most people seem to, to like it. Um, some people ask questions about my motivation. Um, am I having a midlife crisis? And am I going to buy a Ferrari next? And Did I they like, say that? Uh, one person said that, yes. And I would like to say that I have no interest in expensive cars. That's <laughs> my answer to that pair right. of questions. Um, and um, somebody else suggested that I, I must have some special meaning behind this and could, you know, it's cute and everything, but could, could I give them more so they could understand ah. this? And I think a lot of people who put ink on their, on their skin um, have do it as commemoration or do it to uh, reinforce a particular idea or something that they really, really, really like. Mm. Um, and I, I really can't say too much about this, this okay. image, you know, uh, except that obviously it comes from a nursery rhyme. Um, mm -hmm. It comes from probably the oldest nursery rhyme in the English language. Uh, hey diddle diddle, cat in a fiddle, mm -hmm. cow jumped over the moon. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, and I thought it was a nice uh, upbeat kind of fun uh, image, yeah. and I thought it was something that I could uh, uh, I could look at over the long term. Um, and yeah. plus, of course, um, I do like red cats, and I do and like, like fiddles. Fiddle. Yeah. So it seemed to be love uh, it. kind of appropriate. I think it's perfect for your first tattoo. I love it. So there you go. People keep saying first tattoo as if like I was going to get another one. I know. I did that on purpose. And besides, who cares if it's midlife crisis is so cliche. Who cares? That's, That's so right. passe. Besides, yeah. I figured midlife crisis was 10 years ago. This and is also, later than midlife crisis. Also, this is a, this always, a sneaking into the old age crisis, clearly. This is, we're, we're always changing, always thinking, always growing. I mean, a self-examined life is worth living um i you know it's really funny because i've really been thinking about that kind of examination if people think about do you think about how your mind works do you think about how, what you eat what you live and how you do things and why you do things and then i started reading katherine sook's book that we've mentioned last week and i'm pretty excited about it called apocalypse and heroism in popular culture and it's allegories of white masculinity in crisis and it's an incredible book. It's much more exciting than I even imagined it would be. I started reading the preface and the introduction. Well, I, and I really I, recommend I have the book here. Yes. I'm going to get to it. I promise. Yes. Oh, I haven't got deep into it, but I, I got a little bit of time this uh, weekend. And I did read the preface and the introduction. I was really into them. Of, of all I the actually, books I've read about masculinity in crisis, allegories yeah. of masculinity, masculinity in crisis, and this could be a good one. So, it is you know. a good one. It, it is a good one. I'd really like our readers to go out and see if they feel like ordering it. I mean, not our readers, anybody listening to our podcast. I really think it's talking about all kinds of really fascinating and important things. How do you feel about allegory? Do you have any thoughts on allegory? Is it sort of like passe? Is it like old fashioned? Is it part of the... Mm -hmm. It is a thing. I don't have any thoughts about allegory yeah. in particular. It is what it is. Well, yeah, I like allegory. I, I I like I like something being one thing can be another, which is like the cat in the cradle. I'm sure that um, which is that poem and song that you just quoted, isn't it? And what was that? What's the name of that um, kids? Um, hey diddle song? diddle, I think. Hey diddle diddle, yeah. I love that. I, I it you would know, be fun to look into that. You know, for me, yeah I, yeah, I looked into it just enough to make sure that it looked like it was um, 
nonsense as opposed to having something that is going to whack me upside the head with some sort of um, hidden meeting that I would really hate. I, I oh. couldn't find anything like that. So I figured it yeah. was okay. And I it's was sort funny. of, do you remember quite a long time ago on this podcast, we talked about um, a, a, a classical conductor named Ben Zander and, yes. um, and his rule number six. I don't know if you yes. remember rule number six rule number six is i don't, don't remember it off the top of my head no. rule number six is don't take yourself so goddamn seriously um, yeah. as opposed to say rule number two which says refer to rule number six so yes. that's sort of where i was and at I, uh, with, with the tattoo is is i yeah. instead of doing something that i was taking super seriously i was um i was trying to lighten up a little bit and 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 enjoy it <laughs> And I think lightening up is always good. It, that's a great thing. Um, Stag just landed. I just got a text. All right. With a little huggy, huggy emoji. So yay, he'll make it back to work on time. And he got safely back despite all the challenges of the uh, airline business right now. So that's great. Right. Yeah, you know, what's funny because I think it's a little bit of everything. For one, I understand the feeling of like, don't take, don't take yourself too seriously. That that's great advice, especially if you're feeling anxiety or worried or depressed, you're fighting off depression, or you wonder you're feeling angst. Um, having said that, I, I, I think the self-examination or wondering about yourself is, I think it, it could be easily said, don't not take yourself seriously. Sometimes I think that this idea, I think that there is something to think about. We do that when we're being polite and and we're having compassion, we are taking things seriously. It's horrible being dismissive or having someone dismiss your feelings or what you're thinking about or doing. Stag and, mentioned um, that that he was he was trying to remember his dreams. Oh. And I suppose that's a part of a way of self-examination. And since we've asked our listeners to send in their dreams, I suggested to Stag that he had better get on that email machine and uh, start sending us some dreams. Yeah, we would like some emails. Some that's fodder for, sure. for some future podcasts. Yes. yes, yes, for sure. So go on. For More sure. about the the uh, the um, allegory about masculinity. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not just about masculinity. I don't think that's what the allegory is about. I think that um, one idea that I think Catherine Sug is going to put forward, and I'm, I'm still new in it, is that these um, apocalypse movies and the, the catastrophe movies are deeply linked with neoliberalism. And they might be speaking to a neoliberal um, energy in our culture. And neoliberalism, uh, you know, I'm not so great at defining things, but it, it would be like a resurgence of free market capitalism. So instead of it being just like white masculinity um, as a really? title, that's what say, that's what neoliberalism is. It's a resurgence of free market capitalism. Yeah, really. And yeah, I wouldn't have. You know, if I tried to define it, I would never come to there. I would never come there at all. Well, it's one of those sneaky categories because it sounds like something that if you like freedom and liberalism and you might even be like consider yourself liberal you might think neoliberalism was good but it's actually um a fairly stagnating mindset of deregulation of banks uh think tanks are are they're part of neoliberalism you know those oh. conservative movement um let me think uh, what else uh, see um, i would get confused with the words because i would want to say neoconservatism as opposed to neoliberalism yeah 
Yeah. Um, but I guess it depends on the context, how you define those I guess those it does. And words. It, it's, it's considered a pejorative. It is a pejorative. I mean, it's certainly, I guess, if you're in a think tank, you would think it was a great word, uh, neoliberalism. But I think the word where the term was created to um, that, 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 you know, that free trade and f- uh, free market capitalism was somehow very good for us and, and help people. And, and, you know, we certainly see that there's many, many problems with that. So I'm fascinated by this allegory that could be um, read into um, some of these disaster movies and catastrophe movies. And, um, and that would include science fiction. Science fiction, you know, I was really thinking about it. It also seems to be tied into industrialism and capitalism. And um, so there's some kind of tie in there because it's always about like, well, the future will be different. And it's well, are also- you su- Are you surprised by that? After no, all, we live within that kind of system and yeah. most people write about what they know. Yeah. No, I don't feel surprised by it. I was just commenting on it. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. It's like, um, it is pretty interesting that I think that some of this, so here, let me just read you a little bit here. So let me read it. Read a, I'm going to read a couple of things. Maybe this will inspire people to look at this book. What is at stake in the gendering and radicalization, racialization of pop culture, political fantasies like 2012? Did you ever see that movie? No. It's basically what California falls into the ocean. One of her, um, one of the arguments is that she's observing how um, in so-called liberal cultural situations, and really that what's happening is that there's this leaning on a hero, a central character or a central group of people who save the world and save humanity, rather than shouldn't it be a more community-based? Well, I can't say that Catherine's saying that, but what is our attraction to this genre? Why are there so many of them? And why are we obsessed with crisis? And it's kind of, there's somebody wrote a theory saying that um, it's like pre-traumatic stress syndrome, that we are anticipating, we know that there's something with climate culture, um, problems with our society, and that we're obsessing over these um, sort of dystopian storylines to start to cope with it, right? Hmm. Um, so, so, Emmerich's batch of wildly successful and expensive disaster apocalypse films offers a good place to look for answers to this question. They provide a useful template for what I am calling the liberal apocalypse in popular culture, prominent since the 1990s. In this instance, I'm using the term liberal in its vernacular sense of reflecting a widely perceived and presumably widely accepted shift in race and gender representation in popular culture and society more broadly, often known as multiculturalism. Political philosopher Will Kimlicka calls this version of liberalism social liberalism, which emerged from the civil rights and post-colonial moments of the 1960s and 70s and generated the social and political consensus of liberal multiculturalism and is distinct from, and some say opposed to, the classical liberalism of free market individualism and political theory discussed below. This presumed multicultural error confirms for many the evolution of the United States as a reformed and improved society and affirm notions of national progress. That wielding of liberal multiculturalism and liberal individualism is often a central element in popular narratives of the apocalypse and other world-shaking crises. And I thought that's going to be very interesting to see her a look at that, you know? Mm. 
there's just, it's just a really well-written, the introduction is just, it's caught me really excited. I'm kind of geeked out on it. And I think it's going to be a lot, I was so worried that I was giving you something that would maybe be not up your alley, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. Well, speaking of Top Gun Maverick. Yes, exactly. um, I wanted to actually go back and mention something that I didn't talk about last Mm. week when we were talking about that film. I love Um, that. and, And did you get a chance to see the film yet? No. I've had no time. And I'll tell you why later, why I've had no time. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, one thing I failed to mention was the cameo appearance by one Val Kilmer in the movie. Right. And I wanted to mention it. And I think I forgot to mention it because in terms of the film, it was, it was meaningless and neither here nor there. Uh Um, It was a, it was a clearly a cameo designed to, um, offer up a little bit of Val Kilmer to his fans, yeah. I think, and to promote the film to more, more broadly. And it um, it was a little bit clever in that at the start, you hear a voice and you see Val Kilmer typing and mm. then Val Kilmer speaks. Yes. Um, so um, for fans of Val Kilmer, uh, the opportunity to see him um, in a film is fabulous. Uh, for mm. those who don't know, I mean, he's got some pretty serious medical problems, um, mm-hmm. which include um, difficulty speaking without uh, without the assistance of an AI. Yeah. Um, and so it was really nice to see Val Kilmer, but um, I sort of forgot all about it because aside from it being nice to see Val Kilmer, it just re- is neither here nor there in the film. It was sort of yeah. it was like a bit part and yeah. um, and it was just like a little tasty bit. Yeah, so I, to, I wanted to acknowledge it anyway. Yeah, no, thank you. And you know what? When we we're talking about the female lead, I meant to ask you about Val Kilmer because you know one of the controversies online is that they didn't bring Kelly McGillis back because she would be a she's older than forty. She's not, uh, you know, so called Hollywood looking now or something. That there could have been some sexism involved in that. So, and then I meant to ask you about Val Kilmer and I forgot. So thank you for mentioning that. Well, you know, I've been doing a little bit of pop culture here um, on my trip in Canada. Um, I went to Montreal and had some amazing croissants one morning, Um, all butter croissants, no lard. I I like the buttery, buttery ones. I like all croissants, but we got some there and they were mind blowing at Columbus Cafe, I think it was. And uh, they were so good chocolate and plain and we got coffee and swam in a pool we stayed at hotel espresso and it was a happening joint in montreal and then now we drove across northern ontario up through highway 118 117 417 uh all roads you probably know and it's just beautiful into the kawartha area of northern on about three hours north of toronto and um today call that the near north the near north. You're right. I should say that's the near north. I'm not like in Churchill, Manitoba or anything. Um, so coincidentally, a mutual friend of ours that we know from art school moved to this area and they had not been practicing. They had not been making sculpture for a number of years. And um, coincidentally, they moved to a town that has an art school, a very vibrant art school. And that art school is situated next to a sculpture force that has nothing to do with the art school. But what are the chances of there being a sculpture garden and pathway um, in this uh, rural area? And we went to visit it today. We saw lots of art. I think the best pieces that I liked were um, by Tom McKinnon, John McKinnon, who you might know from 
back in the day. Yes. Yes. So he had two pieces there. There was another piece by, oh, God, how am I going to find it? Oh, my God. We saw a lot. And it was very weird and interesting to see because um, there was all kinds of level of types of sculpture out there from stones to metal to fabric. It was pretty cool. Okay. So speaking I really of, got immersed in baking sculpture. Yes. Here on the home front. Yes. Sheila mentioned to Stag and I that really she would very, very, very much like to have in our backyard a <laughs> giant head whose hair was grass growing wow. out of the top of the head. Wild grass? Or uh, lawn grass. Not lawn grass, but uh, she had in mind a longer invasive grass that we oh, have good. in our garden that good. we figured since it wants to spread all over <laughs> our garden, it would happily grow as hair. So she asked if uh, Stag and I would, would take a shot at making her this thing. Wow, too so, cool. Of course, neither of us are sculptors or right. know really anything about doing this kind of work. Um, well, so we sallied forth that. immediately. Um, <laughs> we had, um, Sheila provided us with uh, something that's been kicking around for two or three years, just waiting for, um, we see, here's the thing. Sheila had this okay. idea for the giant head two or three years ago. Okay. And I've been avoiding yeah. making the giant head in okay. the hopes that if I just never mentioned it, she would forget <laughs> and, and there would be no need to make the giant head. But okay. it seems she remembered. And so we had to make the giant head. And we had this thing, which was, imagine a stand-up coat rack that was that had a, a four, four slightly ornate legs from yes. a central core. Well, we had that as the basis for the armature. And so yes. we took that and some one-by-twos and some strapping and some of that delightful material called hardware cloth, which is um, half-inch metal mesh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we made a head shape with a hole in the top. <laughs> Great big hole in the top. Like the whole yeah. top of the head um, is missing um, so that uh, we can plant the grass. And mm. uh, at some point, I'm going to have to cut another piece of that mesh to put in so we don't have to fill up the entire head with dirt. We can only right, have that makes dirt. sense. So sure. Um, so we started with this and um and then we started to cement the thing. Um <laughs> and mostly we had a couple layers of of this mesh and the idea was we would use trowels we would mix it up to the exact correct consistency <laughs> and then we get trowels and we would trowel it onto oh. uh, this mesh so that uh, it would form um, the shape of the head. And was there a gravity issue? Why? Funny you should ask that. Yes, there was a gravity <laughs> issue. Uh, the first thing is that I've seen people who know what they're doing with cement and plaster and that stuff mm -hmm. and it looks beautiful to watch the work yes. and it looks like it's really easy oh dear well you know it's not actually really <laughs> easy at all yeah um, it's really messy and if you don't have the consistency well if you do have the consistency exactly right you can actually trowel it onto the mesh 
and and that's reasonably successful. But right. getting it to the exact right consistency is another cool thing. So yeah, did um, you lay it down? Did you lay it down, perhaps? Uh, no, we kept it. We kept it standing, standing up. up. Okay, and. Okay. Um, we first did around the top. We made a ring around the top and then we did okay. around the bottom. And then we kind of did the front and then we stretched over to the sides, to the ears. And well, the first thing that happened, of course, is that um, I managed to get a number of cuts in my fingers from the wire mesh. Oh, and, no, and cement hurts on open Well, cuts. of course. Now, yeah. I, having worked a little bit with cement, I knew it was going to dry the hell out of my hands, but yes. it wasn't really going to give me bad burns. You guys wore gloves, so you shouldn't really have to worry about no, that. No, we didn't wear gloves. <laughs> so we didn't wear gloves because we're we're tough, masculine, yeah. masculine yeah. guys, yeah. right? Yes. We didn't really uh -huh. need those stinking gloves. Well, well when you well, get... Well, toxic you... masculinity is not good for men either. It's not just bad oh, okay. for everybody else, so, okay? So... so so when you're mucking around with cement with no gloves and you have cuts in your in your hands, yeah, it hurts like hell afterwards. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> and I so know. I had some some I guess some lime burns in the cuts in my fingers, um, which uh, when Sheila and I are going to have to finish this because you know Stag and I worked until we could barely stand up on it and. Yeah, it looked um, fantastic. What I saw, uh, yeah, he sent me a photo. I thought it looked great. But it needs a little bit more work. So okay. we're going to have to um, to add more cement. And to add more cement, I think we have to put a bonding agent on there. Yeah, I think you do. And it may be uh, paper mache or something. I don't know. I, I think it's some some form of, of a, <laughs> acrylic or latex or something right. like that. We're you, looking you into could those ask details. Our mutual friend, the sculptor. You could ask him. Oh yeah, right. Like I'm going to ask a sculptor, and then he's going <laughs> to laugh at me and and. You know, say, oh, yeah, you should have just asked me in the first place. So Correct. he could have laughed at me in the first place. That's true. But no, we sallied forth into the Good. into Good. the uh, wilderness disarmed. Uh, the great unknown. Into yes. the great unknown. We stepped across the abyss into sculpture making mm -hmm. and mucked around in cement for a day uh, and a half. And um, and we made some progress. We have the basic yeah. thing is in, in, in place and we were able to shift it into where it's going to live. And yes. it just needs really a few more hours work and then a paint job because we're going to paint mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to have this giant head in the backyard. So it's right. coming along and uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I have to say. Well, Stag that's good. Had, you had I, fun. We had a great time. We had so much fun. We didn't realize how tired we were getting. Was there so, beer involved? Oh, just a little bit of beer. We had a couple beer breaks. Good, good. Good idea. You need to hydrate. Yeah. Oh. Well, I do want to mention that if anyone wants an interesting day, more sculpture, to go to the Halliburton Sculpture Forest. And um, I've got a lovely pamphlet here with all the names of the artwork. And um, you've got all kinds of art of, of sculpture there. There's something for everyone, I would say. <laughs> well, that's the best kind. There's something yes, for everyone. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. So you're going to have some... You're going to have some allegorical work and you're going to have some real work and then you're going to have some contemporary work. You're going to have a little bit of everything. Candy, you cut out there after allegorical work. Um, Can you repeat that? I said, you're going to have some allegorical work. You're going to have some realism. You're going to have some uh, uh, symbolic and some contemporary sculpture. There's a little bit of everything there. And okay. there's some magnificent stonework. Um, you can take stone, you know, like a stone wall. Mm -hmm. um, an archaic stone wall. They have stone. Someone is teaching stone wall building there. 
and um, someone else has made some sculpture. And those were very successful pieces as well. Oh. The, uh, the, the, the stone building uh, sculptures. One was, they were spiral and, and quite good. And well, I, um, I could tell you after spending a little bit of time in the last week working <laughs> yes. on sculpture, you know, back to the theme of self-examination, yes. I yes. could tell you it was every good reason for becoming a painter. <laughs> this sculpture crap, man, it's hard work. It's, it's hard physical labor. work. I'm a lazy bum, okay? I don't <laughs> I do not need this kind of hard physical labor in my right. life. Right. Although we did have fun. Good. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Um, and then there was a discussion about whether some of the sculpture might have been lawn ornaments. And so I think that there's a little bit of room for everyone. Some of them could have been like what you might see on a lawn for an ornament. However, some people would put what I might say was a bit more avant-garde um, artwork that might make you push your um, expectations of what art should be. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of everything. Yeah, and um, you could say a mosaic went, of sculpture. You could. Are you going to do mosaics on your face? You know, we had discussion about that, and yeah. Uh, um, well, Sheila didn't want mosaics on it, so okay, we're not doing right. mosaics on it, All and right. that's the client, right? You got to, you that's, know, you got to work for the client. You got to work for the client, right? Unless you're yeah. one of those avant-garde artist types who say, "I don't need those stinking clients." Right, they're getting money from somebody else. So they're getting a very rich patron. Um, I'm having a lovely drink right now. I've got a, um, a shrub. What's that? Do you know what a shrub is? A no shrub idea. is a kind of concoction from the 17th and 18th century where you soak a fruit. And in this case, it's rhubarb from the garden that my hostess has uh, soaked for five days. Soaked in what? I, need, I needed to know that. I, I've forgotten that. Maybe it was sugar. It, she just yelled sugar. So she soaked it in sugar and it creates sugar, its I own assume water. sugar in water, right? Like, no, it created its own water. Oh, so, so you put sugar it on it and it and it draws water yes. out. I see. Yes, okay. I believe that's it. it. So five, but five days. So that's the trick. It's not just in an hour. It's five days. So then we strained it off, with um, pushed it through a sieve, and then she mixed in apple cider vinegar. And that gave us a kind of a syrup, which we put in with a whole heap of Gordon's gin and then some nice clear a soda seltzer water. And it is remarkably delicious. And that cocktail, doing that with a vinegar kind of became popular in the um, 30s, 1930s. And, and I even have a glass of wine in the background. <laughs> and and uh, the, uh, this name, the shrub, where did that come from? from a Persian word, uh, Sharid. I'm glad you asked. Look at, I looked it up before you asked. I'm so glad you asked. I feel so prepared. There you go. <laughs> uh, for to drink. I think it means to drink. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Well, that sounds good. Yeah, very good. I'm not drinking anything so exciting. I just have a little bit of lemonade with a lot of soda water. Oh. And, you know, I was also thinking about, you know, we're talking about analysis and how much do you go into something and how much meaning do you put into something? You probably have your own sense of meaning when you're making paintings, I'm assuming. Um, you know that there's something going on. Did you watch Stranger Things? Yeah. Did you? I, I didn't. You watch Stranger Things? Yeah. I did yeah, with not. With the kids, with the kids, yeah. 
Yeah, and I it didn't it didn't grab me. I watched about five episodes when it came out, and it I, I don't know whether I was just stuck on the Goonies and '80s movies, and I just it didn't grab me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, maybe I'll try again another time. But you've heard that the Kate Bush hit has the Kate Bush song that's in the finale has gone nuts. Oh, I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's gone crazy. Well, she, I haven't seen the new the new part of Kate. The new the part. Of it, yeah, I, I saw yeah. the original. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess that this has she has sold more music than Harry Styles this week. I don't know if you know Harry Styles. No, no idea. A huge pop star. And, Stag has uh, been educating me about pop culture this last oh, week, good. but it's a lot All of information right. for for me to digest. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, her song has gone crazy, and when we were in the radio driving back from Montreal and uh, Mount Tremblant. We heard uh, a little a brief interview. The, the blurb was, I think it was CBC, they were going to bring Alan Cross on, who does the ongoing history of new music. Rock and roll, yes. Yeah. I, I love his podcast and also loved him on the radio when he does it. And he was going to analyze this song or something. So we we're pretty excited to hear what he had to say. He basically talked about the record sales, though. She's made over $2 million in about five days. Um, and nice that's on if you streaming. Can get it. That's streaming. She's broken records to have a a, a number one hit, a, a Billboard hit, 37 years after it was a hit. You know, took that long for her to get onto the Billboard records with it. So and, that says um, probably less about her, though, than um, our Western society's uh, tendency to... Um, jump on the, the hive mind to, to be like everybody else to listen to what everyone listens to or listen to the, 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 the pop hit or the something from the movies or something. Right. Uh, we like that. We like, we like to, most of us like to be part of what most people like. And I'm very aware of that because all my life I've always distrusted what most people like. Right. And so right. I notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, too. I think the song's a very good song and kids didn't know the song and now they're into it. And fans of the show were into it. It happened with well, The Sopranos. Well, sure. It also happened with, I remember when the Shrek movies came out, yeah. um, a, a friend of ours was was over and he was singing the old uh, Neil Diamond slash Monkeys tune, I'm a Believer. <laughs> Yes. And um, uh, he had thought that it was something that was written for the Shrek movie. He had right. no idea that it was a song from the 60s. Sure. sure. Yeah. And I think there's exactly. lots of people. They just love that. It's this great new contemporary pop hit from, well, a time yeah. when, from a time when melody was beloved. Well, yeah. And I think also because there's an emotional deliverance in a beloved TV show or movie, just like I do not like the band Journey, never liked them thought that the song that they played was perfect for, I remember I had not watched The Sopranos when the ending happened. And a lot of people were on the internet saying, why'd they have to have that song? They've ruined the whole show. I hate that song. He ruined well, the whole show. Well, I, I thought remember that the it, song happening at the end of it. I could tell you what they played. They play, oh, maybe it was Foreigner. I don't know who it was. Same oh, thing. Oh, no, Journey, Journey. I shouldn't say that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Some people okay. get very upset um, with me for saying they're the same thing. <laughs> well, they're the same genre. So, um, yeah, so that's Although song, Stag did point I out actually, to me this week that, that some people actually think that all fiddle music sounds the same. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yes, I think that some people do think that. I, think that. I know, but I think it's about exposure, right? So what you're used to hearing and what you're trained and listening to. I mean, the song, the Kate Bush song, it's not just 
any old song. The song has an incredible dissonance that happens in it that is um, really um, under and supports the lyrics. The lyrics are, I want to make a deal with God to, to put myself in the shoes of someone else to try to understand them. Um, something like that, right? Alan Cross did not talk about the lyrics or the meaning of the song at all. I was really disappointed because he usually does talk about that stuff. But it it has the, the, the and the way she sings is a very specific, she doesn't go all over the place with her voice. She almost talk sings, you know, she's uh, in a certain range. And so it has a very haunting, uh, uncomfortable, incongruous, if you will, sense to it. And, um, you know, so I think so it's all of that. Yes, people love, I don't, oh, I don't know. I, I keep saying that one of these days I might watch it. I'll try it again. Um, I haven't made any effort to watch it. Knowing this has been out, that, that song broke records over a month ago, right? Mm. And I was like curious, like, oh, I wonder what happened. Why that song and what's it mean? But um, I just did not get gripped by the show. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, it'll be out there. It's nice to have a show in the background. I haven't finished watching Hack. That's true. But also, not everything watching. is for everyone, right? I mean, you just absolutely. might not like the show. That's cool. That's absolutely true. And um, in the same way, I don't think it has any bearing on the show being good or bad or not. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if now, there's any regular listeners that? out there, um, yeah. they, they will notice that, that I often don't like shows. Yes. Yes. Uh, what about the bearing on, would that have anything to do with it's kind of interesting because ironically, a lot of people say, well, I don't know about art, but I know what I like, you know, and is that bearing on whether something is worthwhile to expose yourself to? Well, pe people make those calls, right? Yeah. You know, whether you want to spend time with something or not, and there's all kinds of reasons people have. And, you know, I, I respect people's reasons for all of that stuff because we're all you know we're all different people and um we like different things my feeling is if someone is wondering why the world is the way it is and asking questions about life and thinking about life and then says something like well i don't know art but i know what i like i might say well maybe look into it a bit more maybe look into the the sub what is the meaning of that apocalypse movie? What is yes, the meaning when, to us? When someone says, meaning? when someone says, I don't know about art, but I know what I like, what that means is I'm closed-minded about art and I don't want you to ask me about it anymore. <laughs> That's the translation of that. I guess it? so. Like, let's change I, the topic. I mean? think so. It's not like, oh, I really want you to challenge me about this now. It means I don't really want to talk about this. I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't, you, it stretches you. I don't want to stretch myself there. You know, I, I often think, how do people not read novels? How do you go through your life without reading novels? But I know most of the people in my life don't read novels. Really? Yeah. Uh, some people do, for sure. But I mean, lots of... Lots and lots of people don't, don't read novels. Um, you know, I'd said to someone back when I was working um, in, in the workaday world, um, I had had a, a storage crisis a few years ago and I eliminated my storage crisis in, in a rather um, uh, drastic way by eliminating the stuff that was being stored. Right, and, right. And, and somebody who I worked with um, got very, very upset with me. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking with her on the phone and she was very, very upset. And said, "How could you destroy a work of art? You have a responsibility to, to keep it." Mm -hmm. And 
And I said, well, um, would you like to pay for my storage? <laughs> well, well, you know, we all have to figure out our ways of doing it. But I challenged her. I, I said, you take a walk from your office to my office across the building and stop everybody you know you come in contact with and ask them when was the last time they bought a work of art by a living Canadian artist. Right. And I would be willing to bet that you, you're going to be able to count um, on your hands the number of the number of people who say, oh, yeah, I, you know, in the last year I, I bought something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pe- people have this idea about, about what you should do um, at the same time aren't willing to participate in it. So, I mean, that's all cool. Yeah, well, I think it comes back to that idea of you, you said yourself, um, when someone says something like that, your impression is they're telling me, don't challenge me and don't challenge me to the way I think and look at the world. And you're right, that doesn't, you can't do that to somebody else. Um, but do you think it's a valid thing to do? I do. I think it is a valid thing to challenge all the stuff out there in the world. Well, sure. Yeah, of course. Um, and I think when someone's unhappy or complaining or um, maybe depressed or they don't, they have existential questions about life or they don't even know they are asking those when they are dissatisfied in their life and though that's not a word is it dissatisfied and they're not happy in their life and you know many co-workers and people we know are complaining bitching about traffic they know everything or they you know um complaining about the way the world is in politics um why wouldn't you want to say well there's another way of looking at the world by examining it and go and look at art and go and look at novels those are the places where in poetry where you go and find out how to how to break free of a control system. Well, if that's, if that's that a question, off? if that's a question, yeah. why wouldn't why wouldn't I do it? I would say I would do it. Not you, not you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do it with yes. with someone who I thought maybe really was interested and yeah. maybe wanted someone to talk about that. But if if mostly if somebody gives me a shut it down kind of question like that. I, right. I respect the shut it down question because who the heck am I to tell them how they how they ought to think in well, their exactly. life? Right? Well, it's not, I, that's not my business. Well, that's true. It's not, I, I, but I really meant in the situation, haven't you ever been with somebody who's always kind of, they're always seem like they're just agitated and cycling. They might even be a friend. They might even be someone you know or work with or a neighbor maybe you would say it would be very rude why don't you go to a therapist why don't you go to uh get some medication why don't you get a self-help book um you know most people wouldn't realize that there might be a choice that we don't have to think the way our minds are thinking they don't know that and art mostly it's it's not not my job to tell them not at all not at all you know and i and so and that's why you know i probably as an artist i've not been super assertive about selling those ideas and and so i also haven't been super successful um so uh, you know i i think there are there are people who believe that everything that they think is is the bomb and everybody else ought to listen to them and ought to see the world the way they see the world and they're happy to tell you that i'm not one of those people who (laughs) who want to do that I'm, i'm happy to tell you what i think for me but not about what they ought to do. Right. I don't like telling people what they ought to do. Right. They would have to come to you for help. Uh, yeah. Or, or we would, 
you know, if someone I was close to and we were having a conversation, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, if I thought they were open to that that kind of thing. But um, I, in other words, I don't want to be a preacher. Ever. Right. Well, I want to preach that people go look at sculpture and art in person and even think about buying some from a new artist or uh, or anybody. Or And I do want people to read novels and books. I want them to go get Catherine's book, Catherine Sug. <laughs> Buy her book. Buy Dennis McCarthy's book. I think so they I, will change your life. I have a couple of recommendations yeah, for, good. for next week that I okay. wanted to just bring up briefly, but I think that, that yeah. um, it's really for next week to talk about in case some of our, our um, listeners want to check these things out. And okay. also because I'm pretty sure that you haven't had the opportunity to check them out yet either. And so good. I want to have a I conversation have a about them. Good, I have a pen right here. So the, the first one is uh, go see the Elvis movie. Okay. Go see Elvis. It's, um, it's a lot of fun for sure. It's a good. lot of fun. Um, it's got good guys and bad guys. Uh, <laughs> Elvis is like a good guy savant and, and <laughs> Colonel Tom Parker is like, is like, uh, I don't know, like Stidely Whiplash is like, right. like a, a, the evil marketer. Um, but when you go see it, pay particular mm-hmm. attention to the unheralded stars of this movie who are, right. and I'm going to say, I'm going to say that, um, you know, Tom Hanks did an okay job. Austin yep. Butler, although at first you have the struggle that he doesn't look like Elvis, even in okay. the least. It's, it's a little <laughs> bit difficult to get past that because Elvis okay. had such a distinctive kind of look, right? Yes. Um, but he did a great job. Yes. But really, in my mind, the unheralded stars of this film had bit parts, so watch out for them. Kelvin okay. Harrison Jr. as B.B. King. Oh. Alton Mason as the Great Little Richard. Yola as Sister Rosetta Thorpe. And Thorpe. Gary okay. Clark Jr. as Arthur Big Boy Crudup. Go, go there to watch the Black performers. They're so hot. They're so, so good. Great. That's so it's, great. I tell you, that was, to me, that part of the movie when we got to see glimpses of yeah. Elvis's influences. Yes. Oh, it just rocked. They were so good and they nailed those guys oh, so, so wonderful. well. So, so pay particular attention there. Um, here he is, Mr. Nod Preacher is preaching. Uh, go watch oh, the black yeah. guys in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I, I was really impressed by that. So good. Um, so I'm going to recommend that. And the, the movie is not a great movie, but it's a good movie and it's a fun yeah. movie and it's big and bombastic and, Yes. Um, and well worth seeing and I'm looking forward to talking about it hopefully Good. next week I am a huge Baz Luhrmann fan huge huge love everything they do Great Gatsby Strictly Ballroom Moulin Rouge Romeo and Juliet amazing but the other one that I, I yes. wanted to recommend is, uh, is something that's uh, streaming um, we get it on Crave, but it's a Showtime show. And I, I don't okay. know where you're going to get it. Yeah, you could... Showtime. Show, okay. Um, and it's called We Hunt Together. And, oh. and it is the best TV show I've seen in years. Really? Yes. We're uh, it, There's two seasons of it, six episodes in each season. We're three quarters of the way through the second season. And cool. it is nothing short of great. Wow. It's, it's a, well, I guess you could say it's a British police procedural Ooh, um, but it's about 
there's two cops, okay? Yeah, yeah. The one cop is he gets transferred or he transfers to homicide from the anti-corruption squad. Mm-hmm. And he's um, this big, tall, black guy. He's got a bit of an African-British accent, African-British yeah. kind of mixed together. I, I don't know where exactly it comes from. Um, and he has a, a partner who is his subordinate who mm-hmm. is really cranky and foul mouthed and she's a workaholic. And we find out she's also a closet heroin addict. Cool. Really interesting <laughs> pair of characters. Uh, and then they're chasing after a murderer, a serial killer who uh-huh. partners up with somebody who she gets to do killings for her. And so you have two, two partners, you have the two cops hunting the serial killer, and then you have the two serial killers hunting their prey. Wow. And, and there's a lot of interplay between the two sets of partners. Mm. Yeah. It's really brilliant the way it's done. It's so effective. I really, really enjoying it. Uh, I hope you can get it. I, I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah. Um, Good. Highly I highly recommend it to, to all it. our listeners. If, if you can get, if you could see this, we would like to know what you think about it as well when we talk about it next week. Yeah. And also, if you have a recommendation or tell your friends about us, we would like to know what people think and we'd like more people to listen. Plus, maybe I'll see you Friday, Eugene. Okay. Maybe I'll see you soon. That would be good. Uh, this near north girl has to go eat dinner soon. Okay. Well, what's our email? Let's say our email. Let's say our email. It's theagency.podcast yeah. at gmail.com. There you go. Uh, I want to say also a big thanks to uh, uh, to uh, Leo Quintao for uh, yes. for uh, sitting down and, and talking to me about tattooing and his career as a yes. tattoo artist um, and for giving me this really cool ink on my arm. It's super cool. And uh, we'll be back at you next week.